welcome to the Social Ideas podcast brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. Congratulations to the 2022 Cambridge Social Innovation Prize winners awarded by Trinity Hall and the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. The £10,000 awards are made annually to extraordinary founder CEOs of scale-up social enterprises to support their growth as leaders. Mentoring from experts at Cambridge Judge Business School and support from an expanding community of social innovators at Trinity Hall will help the winners to develop the skills, resources and networks they need to create more impact from their work. In this episode of the Social Ideas podcast, we hear from Katie Buckingham, founder and CEO of Altruist Enterprises. She talks about her work to achieve parity of esteem between mental and physical health. I began by asking Katie what motivated her to found Altruist Enterprises. I started experiencing problems with anxiety from about the age of six years old. Obviously, I didn't know what it was at the time. It tended to manifest itself into physical symptoms, so stomach pain, um, headaches, and then obviously behavioural symptoms of becoming withdrawn, etc. It developed into an anxiety disorder when I was 10. Um, That's when it started to become a little bit problematic. Again, I didn't really know what it was. I was worried about talking to people about how I felt because of perceptions and what people might think of me. And also felt I was quite alone in my feelings as well. So I developed my own coping mechanisms, started to feel better in myself. I suppose I've relapsed a couple of times over the years, but it was only when I was 16 when I finally got the right support for my condition, really. I was 15 when I was actually put on the waiting list for 12 months for mental health services. And if you speak to anyone who has, has gone through that process, that's not unique to me. The, the waiting lists are uh, very long and lots of young people have to go away from their homes in order to access the appropriate support for their mental health. So when I was 17, I decided that I wanted to make a social change. I'd been to a a youth group and that helped me to develop my sort of self-esteem. We did the Duke of Edinburgh Award and I developed my problem solving skills and I decided, well, I started to believe in myself a little bit more. And then I just had this, I suppose, fire in my, my belly really in that this wasn't right and this needed to be changed. So through the youth group, they supported me in applying for some funding through my local authority. And I got some funding to start a mental health project in the local area, delivering workshops into schools, developed a a teaching resource, which was used across the borough and and elsewhere as well. And that that was the start of it, really. It won awards as well, this, this teaching resource. And it was very, I suppose, very new in terms of mental health obviously there's still a taboo attached but back then there wasn't really much around we're talking uh, 2011 so from there I wanted to continue that I'd I'd enjoyed managing my own time and, and doing something I really enjoyed so I applied for the Peter Jones Academy so Peter Jones from Dragon's Den did a, a one-year entrepreneurship course Throughout that time, actually, I I set up a a pet product business. Do you love dogs? (laughs) And but I I just realised, obviously, I made a lot of mistakes. The business didn't work out in the end. But I just realised that actually my true passion lay with mental health and with social causes. I don't think I'd be able to run a business unless 
it had a social purpose and something that I suppose made the world a better place. I know it's cliche and a bit cheesy, but something that makes a real difference. That's something that really, really spurs me on. So yeah, Altruist was formed in 2013. I was 19 at the time. So throughout the years, I've made a lot of mistakes, had to start again a few times, but I think, and a lot of entrepreneurs will say the thing that keeps you going is the reason why you're doing it you know, when everything's going wrong, (laughs) which it does sometimes. Why do you think it took so long for you to have any form of diagnosis? I think it it took so long. First of all, I didn't realise what it was myself. And when I did start to understand my emotions, there was obviously the stigma. So I suppose when I was six and 10, I didn't really know what mental health was. I didn't really know what emotions were. I just felt things <laughs> that makes sense I and I started playing football actually when I was nine and I remember that football helped me feel better I didn't know why obviously now we know about exercise endorphins improving our mental and physical health but yeah so that that was the I suppose the first aspect as I got a little bit older obviously there was there's always the representations in the media so whether that be in, in a newspaper that says this person who's escaped a mental asylum has, has gone and done this or um, horror movies or, you know, TV programmes where mental health is portrayed in, in a way that isn't, I suppose, true. And then that kind of scared me, really. If I, if I went to tell someone how I was feeling, would I then be carted off away from my family? It's, I suppose, difficult feelings when you're quite young. Luckily, I think now particularly for our work as well. Um, there's a lot more mental health awareness. You can see in even earlier settings, primary settings, secondary, and, and generally people speaking out about mental health helps normalise it because, as I say, I, I felt quite alone. But actually when I got help, I realised it wasn't really unique to me. There were so many other people that had it, people that I knew, um, but we'd not we'd not talked about it. So... I think that was the first thing in terms of the the stigma and discrimination around it, but also just the access to services and the access to appropriate services. So when I was at school, before I got the appropriate support through CAMS, which is Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, I was allocated a bereavement counsellor through my school. I'd not experienced a bereavement, but that's all that they had available at the time. Really nice guy. <laughs> um, wasn't quite the the right support that I needed but it was it was something that was there in the meantime I suppose and put on the 12 month waiting list and then finally started the process I think my first appointment actually was on my birthday and I think people in the family were like oh that's a shame you know but actually for me as sad as it sounds it felt like progress so it was like a good birthday present in a way because I, I felt like I was finally getting somewhere and I suppose that's when my sort of journey and recovery journey started but not only sort of the therapeutic side but helping other people helped me so I've kind of done this ever since really. In terms of the pandemic how did you manage to continue to provide support? So as a result of the pandemic and I'm I'm sure it's true for many businesses we actually saw a, a quite a steep drop in in income Uh, when it came to March 2020 and that was because obviously people were sort of on high alert they they didn't know what was happening there was a lot of anxiety a lot of uncertainty and a lot 
of companies uh, froze their training budgets because they were trying to understand what was happening and how people were going to work from home. And then with that, normally it's the essential training, so to speak. Not that I agree that mental health isn't essential, but when it comes to the likes of first aid, which is obviously a requirement to, to have in place, that would be the priority. But then once we got to maybe June, July, that's when things started to pick up again. And I think from a mental health perspective, I think it, people are more open to talk about their mental health than they were before. And from speaking to a lot of people, um, even if someone has never experienced any sort of mental ill health, everyone throughout the pandemic has experienced some sort of loneliness, anxiety, uncertainty. People that have told me that they've never experienced anything before and suddenly they're like, well, what, what is this? Oh, actually, it's my mental health. So I think people are far more open to talking about it now. And I think alongside that is also the openness to learn and to communicate online. I think before the pandemic, people weren't open to maybe completing training courses, particularly on certain topics over Zoom. But actually that sort of openness to that and the fact that it works just as effectively and actually is more flexible and allows people to re reflect on content over a, a series of weeks actually works a lot better for some people. And it's allowed us to, to support more demographics. So parents maybe that are working part time, they might not be able to commit to two full days face to face, but actually they can complete the course over four weeks where they do instructor led sessions and self guided in between. So it's allowed a, lo a lot more flexibility to enable us to train more people and also access people across the, the country as well that may not have been able to travel to a certain location. So in terms of the, the increases in mental health, definitely that's something that we've seen as well amongst the young population. So we work a lot, a lot with schools and also obviously employees themselves, whether that be around sort of supporting resiliency building skills or even managers, because obviously managers have had this big change for a lot of lot of people in that they may have seen their staff in their teams in the office face to face five days a week but now with remote working and hybrid working they don't always get to see them face to face which can make it more difficult to spot any sort of signs of mental ill health or stress or sort of changes in body language so yes it's, I suppose it's shaking it up <laughs> So you work with pretty much everyone in some capacity, uh, anyone that wants to come to you, or am I overgeneralizing? So we target SMEs, so smaller companies with around 250 staff. So that doesn't mean that we don't work with large companies and it doesn't mean that we, we don't work with smaller companies, but we provide support for, I suppose, a three-tiered approach. So we work with managers to enable them to, first of all, take care of themselves, improve that, that self-awareness, because obviously before we support other people, we first must take care of ourselves. And with managers, then we look at how we spot the early signs of stress and mental ill health within our teams. And that can be if you've seen them face-to-face -face or, or remotely, starting those mental health conversations, keeping the lines of communication open and signposting to the right support. We then work with employees 
around resilience. So I suppose the, the resilience course is something that's become particularly popular as a, a result of the pandemic, enabling people to really find their toolbox of resiliency skills. So our course isn't non-prescriptive. So we don't say this is how you reduce stress because everyone's different and everyone manages their well-being in different ways. All we do is offer different tools and techniques, facilitate discussions in order for people to find their own way of managers managing those stresses and strains of life. We do say as well, because I said at the start, many challenges of work and home. We often talk about work-life balance, but it's very difficult to compartmentalise work from home and anything that happens in your personal life feeds into your work life and vice versa. So it's just about providing that holistic approach to the individual that works for the company. And then alongside that, we support with mental health first aiders. So we always say that it's important for people to volunteer for the role and for them to be dotted around the company so that people feel comfortable for approaching any any sort of person who can who can support them really but what I would say is that we always start from the beginning with the organization in terms of why they're doing it and the strategic approach to it and how it fits with their I suppose overarching strategy as well whether that be their people strategy or or their main business strategy because it's important that it's an ongoing process really as opposed to just a tick box exercise um so we we provide that consultative approach throughout the time that we work with the the companies and then in terms of schools the main offering that we um, work with schools on is a senior mental health lead training so this is a dfe funded initiative so department for education And the Department for Education's aim is to train one senior mental health lead. That's a senior leader within a school or college that's or any other setting that's state funded to provide a whole school approach to mental health and wellbeing. So it's very much a strategic role in overseeing sort of the curriculum, parents and carers, the access to the mental health services locally and, and nationally as well. So we have worked with over 250 schools since that programme started in October 2021 and we're continuing that work and alongside that we can offer support around further initiatives so whether that be work with the pupils which we offer um, a subsidised or free rate or work with the parents or anything there's, there's so many bespoke sort of requests that come in depending on the school because obviously every every school's different they all have uh, different needs and all different sizes different areas etc so and then at the moment we're exploring the independent school market as well and we've um, recently trialed the course with a, a private education group so that's something that we're looking to to do as well so yeah I suppose our work is 50 percent businesses so as I say mainly SMEs and then 50 percent schools so you are one of this year's Cambridge Social Innovation Prize winners congratulations thank you what did it feel like when you found out that you'd won I was surprised and also really happy I think when I luckily stumbled across the award it's something that I needed at this time and what I mean by that is I've built the company up to a certain point but I feel like the skills that I'm, I'm lacking whether that be me developing those skills or bringing in other people to complement my strengths I just felt that anything around my personal development would be really useful and then to see that it was obviously funded by 
University of Cambridge, which is really prestigious, and then being part of the, the Cambridge cluster and being able to network and speak to the right sorts of people that, that may be able to help the company. It just came at the right time, really, and I applied. I, I suppose didn't think much of it because I assumed, obviously, that there'd be a lot of applicants, which they were. And, yeah, I, just, I was just really pleased when I, I got the call and said that I'd, I'd won and great. <laughs> As you've mentioned yourself, you know, this prize, it's about helping the winner to progress, to grow as a founder, as a CEO, as, as, as the director of their social enterprise. And it's £10,000. How do you hope to use that then to give altruist enterprises the possibility of longevity? I suppose thinking about my strengths, and it is difficult sometimes to really reflect on the business and reflect on yourself as a founder, because you often get caught up with the operational side and running the business. And then suddenly you've started it and you're nine years in and you're like, oh, <laughs> where do we go next? So I think for me, I'm, I'm very much a, a typical, what I'd call it, a typical founder I'm very good at starting new things, finding new markets, finding new products, finding people to bring on board with the vision. What I'm not so good at is sort of like the infrastructure and sort of the platform for a big business, someone who can manage as like a managing director, maybe that would take the business to the next level, build the right systems within teams so I feel that with the, the prize money, I'd like to attend a leadership and management program. I'd like to, because um, I've had coaching in the past, but I'd like to resume coaching because I find that really useful. I think a lot of the time as founders, even if we're not always confident in our decisions, we do know the answers. And I think coaching is a good way of drawing that out of you. I'd also like to attend more sort of learning events around mental health, social enterprise, networking, getting to meet lots of different people. I suppose it's been difficult over the past couple of years, but things are opening up now. So I'd like to do more more of that. I think you can't be sort of face-to-face meetings with people sometimes. Um, networking over Zoom, it tends to be like you, you don't get the, the, the I suppose the, the serendipity of those creative conversations where you just happen to bump into someone when you get in a cup of tea or something like that. <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm open to, to speaking to the, the business consultant. I think that we get uh, uh, the 10 days to really help me to understand exactly where I want to spend it. But in terms of my initial thoughts, that's, that's where I'd like to go with it. And through that, what do you hope the future is for altruist enterprises? So my main goal for altruist enterprises is in March 2025, and it is very specific, <laughs> um, is to set up a mental health charity for young people. So I talked about my own personal journey and something that really helped me was the youth group that I attended. So the, the Duke of Edinburgh Award, doing outward bound activities that really helped build my resilience and my self-confidence. So the charity will be for young people that are on the waiting list for mental health services um, to support them until they get that support. So it might include forest therapy as well. I think we need to, there's lots of evidence to say that when we get outdoors, it actually supports our well-being. That will be mainly funded by the commercial business, which is Altruist. And the reason I want to do that is because there's so many 
so many uncertainties with the accessing funding and what I don't want to happen is start a project it to go really well there's lots of people benefiting from it and having to stop it like after 18 months because that's when the funding lasted for so I'd like to get the commercial business to a point where that actually provides secure funding to to the charity so we we can predict where it comes from that's the main aim because again talked about mental health services I think it's less than one percent of the NHS budget is spent on children's mental health and also the youth service is being cut as well when I, I drive around Solihull where I live a lot of the the youth services have closed I, th- I think where I went to my youth group it's now a block of flats so unfortunately you know the, the funding's not necessarily there anymore. That was Katie Buckingham, founder and CEO of Altruist Enterprises and winner of the Cambridge Social Innovation Prize 2022. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube.